Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible counselor, consultant, and educator, Carista Luminar. Hello, Carista, and welcome to the show. Hello. Glad to be here. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to build secure attachment. And for those that don't know, Carista Luminar has more than 40 years of experience as a counselor, consultant, and educator to individuals, couples, and families. After graduating from Harvard University with a degree in psychology and social relations in 1978 and completing her postgraduate degrees, Carista pioneered educational programs on early attachment that focus on preventing and repairing childhood developmental trauma. In the year 2000, she wrote the groundbreaking book called Parenting Begins Before Conception, based on her doctoral dissertation research for two decades. Carista has lectured throughout the United States on early attachment and human development and is frequently featured in seminars and the media. How are you today, Carista? I'm doing great, even though we're in delicate times here in California with the fires. I know. It's tough times. We're living in so many different dynamics happening at once. Pandemic, fires. It's a lot. Yeah, I'm so glad that through it all, you found time to come on to the show today. And I'm really excited about today's topic. And I'm glad that we're finally being able to talk about attachment theory because we've had many guests on the show and many have talked about this basic idea that we have early attachment patterns early on that we gained from our primary caregivers, but we haven't gotten down to the nitty gritty of what attachment theory is. So I want to begin by clarifying terms because many people get confused about this word attachment. Now, the Buddha might tell us to cultivate non-attachment and you might get an attachment accessory for your phone or something, but that's not the attachment we're talking about today. From a psychological perspective, what is attachment? Well, a simple way of thinking about attachment is it's a deep, secure attachment in particular, is a deep and enduring emotional bond that connects one person to another, independent of culture, kind of a universal need. And people often think of attachment as having to be reciprocal. It's, it's, it's a two-party system. You're attached to another person through a bond, an emotional bond. And it's not always reciprocal. There could be one person that can have an attachment to someone that's not shared. In general, its attachment is characterized by specific behaviors in children originally, as they were really seeking connection, proximity to their attachment figures, especially when they were upset or threatened. And a guy named John Bowlby in 1958 created what's called attachment theory in psychology. He really began this notion. So attachment is a deep and enduring emotional bond that connects one person to another. And you just mentioned that it was originally observed in children, but then it continues. Of course, we develop other emotional bonds later on in life. So what's the connection yeah. there? 
Well, attachment theory began uh, in his clinic where he was working primarily with emotionally distressed, disturbed children. And so the original focus is the attachment is with one's original primary caregivers and kind of classic psychodynamics. That's primarily the child's relationship with their mother and how that affected their social, emotional and cognitive development. Now with you know, more progressive models and different combinations of parents, sometimes single parents, mother, father, mother, mother, father, father. What really matters is that the child's belief about love, its sense of self-worth is really formed in this early link between the infant and its connection to the primary caregiver mother classically. And what happens when the child feels separation and goes into states of distress? How does the primary attachment figure respond to the child as a secure attached parent will really, really be able to navigate kind of the nuances and care for the safety and security of the child. And the indifferent avoidant parent will begin to give the child the sense that when it's in distress or it needs reassurance, it can't depend on anyone. And so these different attachment styles, there are four of the classic attachment styles, they're really adapt- adaptations to whether the child feels it can trust this deep psychological, physical feeling of connectedness between itself and the primary caregivers. And of course, now we see decades later, the research neuroscience of relationship and attachment has been expanded to show that there's a direct correlation between our childhood attachment dynamics with our primary caregivers and how much of that conditioning and their adaptive styles and beliefs about whether we could depend and be interdependent with someone, which is what love is, how it plays out in our primary adult relationship styles. We often subconsciously choose partners that mimic what we experienced in childhood. So if we had secure attachment, we either know secure attachment behavior or we're drawn to someone with secure attachment behavior. If we have insecure attachment, we can sometimes be subconsciously drawn to that, which is familiar, like family, and actually recreate some of the insecure experiences because that's all we know to look for. That's what we think love is and what love does is that it's unpredictable and it's something that we can't be depend on someone to relieve our distress. I love that distinction. So it's an adaptation to whether the child can trust feelings of connectedness, which is what we're looking for in life, right? That strong connection. But depending on those early experiences as a child, we might be wary of connection. I'm almost imagining someone listening to this episode and be like, oh my God, this is where where this is where I'm at. I'm continually entering into partnerships that are mimicking my experience of childhood. So when you say that there is a direct correlation between our childhood attachment dynamics and the relationships we choose later on in life, how strong of a correlation is it that we're talking about? Because there is this old joke that you walk into the therapist's office and the first thing they ask you is, so tell me about the relationship with your mother. Right, and... <laughs> right. And there's, there's, an old, there's an old joke. I've seen it in different, even postcards, where it's kind of four <laughs> generations of females. And it's like, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. You know, and mm-hmm. there's a joke in women's circles, you know, with partners sometimes, particularly in the heterosexual dynamic, you know, is he's playing out his mother wound, the, the woman's playing out her father wound. And there's truth to it. I mean, you can't argue with the research and the, you know, the developmental trauma models and what's really playing out. I mean, it's it's all scientifically shown there's direct correlations, but it's not a fixed sentence. And some people are what we call hybrids. They can have one parent that offered secure attachment. We can talk about those behaviors. And another one that, you know, they had insecure anxiety with or even trauma bonding with. And so one partner might bring out 
you know, bonding dynamics and projections and expectations they experienced with one parent completely opposite another partner might trigger some latent unresolved issues and dynamics and behaviors that never played out with one partner might be evoked by another in the other partner's behavior. And then we've got those who had secure attachment who bond with someone who had insecure attachment. They don't understand why they're insecure because they've never experienced those kind of feelings as a child. So it's not a fixed sense. It's just another way to often describe why you're having the reactions you're having, why you're feeling the disconnections are happening, because what you need based on your attachment style could be opposite to what the other person needs based on their kind of hard wiring, what they expect. You know, we're talking, attachment is really how we love. Attachment is suggesting that relationship is a two-party system. When we're in self-love, self-care, it's a one-party system. It's us with ourselves, how we're caring for ourselves. When we're in a relationship with someone and we're wanting love to be received and given, that's two people. So you're dealing with the patterning of two people or more. If you're in you know, an open relationship dynamic, you're even dealing with more dynamics. You're dealing with everyone's attachment patterning. There's no, there's no way around it. But whether someone has trauma or insecurity and it's triggered or aggravated by a partner depends on many factors. Sometimes the best partners are the ones who have insecurity or trauma in their past and they're even projecting on each other and they're committed to learn how to rewire to secure attachment, they can have some of the best relationships. I work with these clients all the time. So it's not a sentence for life mm -hmm. if you didn't get healthy love or secure love. It's just to understand why you might be having difficulty knowing what to choose and really what the difference is between what healthy love is and what it isn't, which is really what my work's about, making that very practical. Yeah, it sounds like a really wonderful tool for gaining insight. You said it can be used yeah. to describe why you're having the reactions that you're having. So if you are coming up with challenges in your relationship, probing into your past and understanding your attachment style can really help to explain the dynamics that you're encountering. Exactly. So you already mentioned a few of the attachment styles, secure, I heard, and I heard insecure. So for our listeners who don't know, what are the four attachment styles? So the four attachment styles, I'm just going to kind of do a download all four at once because I found that's the way for people to really kind of track it. And then you can feel free to ask me any questions. In my work, I call it the love styles. It's just less clinical <laughs> and it's really mm. about the style of love. So you may hear me say attachment style or love style. It's synonymous. The secure attachment style has at the core, the core internal beliefs, subconscious beliefs are with you, other person primary attachment figure, be it childhood or my present partner, that's an attachment figure. I feel safe. I trust you're here for me. I feel loved, lovable. I'm a priority for you. And it leaves the general feeling between two people as feeling, I feel loved, general feeling of peace, trust, feeling honored and welcomed. And the behaviors of secure attachment feel like this. I am here to create security for you. The relationship is a priority. When you're in distress, I'm here to help you relieve that distress. We, as two people, are committed to empower each other's true self. And, and you're my go-to person, particularly when I'm in distress. That's what the research shows. When the child was in distress, the secure attachment figures would make that child, relieving that child's distress, a top priority. The child cries in the middle of the night. It's not the parent that ignores the child. It's the one that picks up. I'm here. I got you. I got you. I'm here. I see you. I feel you. You're in distress. You're okay. You're safe. We never outgrow that need. That's what the neuroscience of relationship and attachment research shows. So we really want that sense of safety. And it doesn't mean 100% of the time. In the attachment research, it says 80 plus percent of the time or more when you're feeling this general sense of I'm safe with you. I feel secure with you. We're each other's top priority. 
and when especially when we were distressed that we four out of five interactions Gottman Institute says we are feeling this sense of security so yeah you can have a hard day you can have a fight you just know how to you need to learn how to fight well we call it you know which is short cycles repair quickly get out of distress so that's it secure attachment insecure attachment has three distinctions insecure anxious insecure avoidant and insecure traumatic I'll go through each one insecure anxious the general feeling you know you're insecure anxious when the primary feeling with the other person you're in a relationship with is I feel you don't care about me you don't see me you don't want this connection that's what creates the anxiety I don't trust you love me I'm not important to you and I need you and I don't even know if I matter to you so the the fascination is with the fear of abandonment otherwise known as I'm afraid I'll lose the connection with you and and the and the general behavior is just like it sounds anxious I'm anxious something's up I'm in distress and what my behavior is going to I'm feeling despair I'm feeling distrust I'm feeling anxious I'm feeling frustrated and my behavior is going to look like this I'm going to pursue it's often called insecure anxious pursuit and it's more the attacking complaining criticizing where are you going escalate we escalate I'm in that subclub when I get triggered insecure is when you get triggered out of sense of security we get anxious we're going to lose the connection and we're usually the pursuers who yell criticize and pick 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 and we'll go after the person because we're trying to resolve this fear of abandonment whereas insecure avoidant which is the other classic insecure style does just the opposite just like the name it withdraws and the feeling is you don't value me I'm a failure I give up bye I can't get it right I feel hopeless I'll take care of myself and at least I feel safer inside my shell they're more self-regulators they have a tendency to fear rejection because no one ever valued their feelings so it's like why depend on anyone when there's conflict with this person I'm going to disappear because it's hopeless and they're more than kind of cold they go into their heads unlike the escalator who's knocking at the door pay attention to me they're the ones that shut the door just like the name and they withdraw they ignore they hide out they shut down and they're more logical but what they're doing is they're avoiding the conflict and they're suppressing their feelings because their feelings were avoided when they were younger no one cared so they don't even know what they're needing it's more like easier just to be alone relationship too complicated bye so you've got the insecure anxious and insecure avoidant are usually what i see in the couples dynamic that get them to the couples work because what they're feeling are opposite the insecure anxious is wanting immediate quick repair and connection and this secure avoidant it's like give me space not safe you're flooding me I don't want to resolve this which aggravates the anxious and makes them feel more abandoned and that's the vicious cycles they often get in and the very last one I'll just do this quickly is the insecure traumatic now the insecure traumatic is a bit esoteric for people it's actually unfortunately more common than most people are aware of the insecure traumatic is on top of one of the other insecure styles so you have either insecure anxious or insecure avoidant as your base behavior in other words when you get traumatized your reaction is going to be more that escalating anxious or it's going to be more that avoidant withdrawing cold shutdown what makes traumatic I call it traumatic bonding insecure traumatic bonding distinct from the other two insecure styles is a feeling that the attachment figure childhood or adult feels scary most of the time I don't ever feel safe with you I'm spending my entire internal world feeling I have to protect myself from you hide from you I'm you're dangerous you other person feel dangerous to me I'm going to be punished the child who feels it has no power to protect itself never knows I always feel like I'm wrong and it's a chronic state of fear more on the kind of despair terrified version you know it's not just like 
fear of losing you and I can survive. It's more like the abusive parent or the abusive partner. At any moment I'm walking eggshells, you could annihilate me. You could physically abandon me, emotionally abandon me. It's real, it's real sense of loss. And how do we know we're in, in this insecure traumatic, especially as adults, is when our reaction is explosive with emotion, let's say the insecure anxious, high overreaction or illogical, or the withdrawer is really paralyzed, almost collapsed or frozen. There's a feeling of, I don't know how to take care of myself and protect myself. And it often creates a very disorganized nervous system. So how do we know someone's in trauma spectrum? How do I know, you know, as a clinician, I have had some of this behavior myself, is the reaction is disproportionate to what's happening present time. So it's like, why are you getting so upset? I just said, no, I wouldn't empty the dishwasher. And the person's raging and flailing. It's because there's something about this historical feeling that whenever I ask you to care for me, it's always a no. And that no, like I never can trust you'll say yes. And the whole story builds and it's way, you know, it's way distorted to what's really happening. And that's usually there's some kind of developmental trauma being triggered and that's associated with the real-time incident. So there you go. That's kind of a simple version of a lot of complex dynamics. Yes, it's a wonderful summary you just gave and it really shows you know your stuff. So just to summarize, we have secure attachment where Mm -hmm. the person is dedicated having a feeling of safety and security in the relationship. And then we have insecure anxious, insecure avoidant, and insecure traumatic. Mm -hmm. And before we get into sort of tackling the more insecure attachment styles, I wanted to Mm -hmm. use this opportunity to ask you about some criticism that I've heard of attachment styles. One is that it seems to pigeonhole, you know, the the incredibly uh, diverse array of loving relationships we can have. And it also seems to pathologize. Let's just talk about the latter here, because when we say somebody is securely attached, it sounds really great. And when somebody is anxious and avoided and dramatic and insecure, it doesn't sound nearly as complimentary. So if someone feels like a sense of shame or a sense of wrongness about them because of their attachment styles, how do you get around that and saying that this is not necessarily like bad to have? That's a beautiful question. I do a lot of talks about attachment styles. I've never been asked about kind of the, the labeling, shaming impact of especially, you know, traumatic or avoidant because it does it does suggest you don't have your act together and your ability to love, right? And you're overcoming mm-hmm. this kind of primitive reaction. Um, shame is kind of defined as something's bad about me. Guilt is more like my behavior's wrong, but it, it has that kind of self-negation rather than self-empowerment. I, having taught this and worked with thousands and thousands academically, as well as you know, just in my office and in groups, I find that people in general feel great relief having these distinctions. So we can't trick the brain or, or the attachment system into a kind of a, a belief that there aren't human behaviors that actually are reflecting we are feeling overwhelmed in relationship. So these are just traits that actually give you an understanding that when you're overwhelmed by your partner, there's a reason. There's even more explanation if you get into kind of the loving brain, the neuroscience of relationship, the brain understanding. When we get threatened by our partner's behavior, we get hijacked and that's the fight or flight. We go out of pro-relational ability into anti-relational or non-relational function. We can't heal those reactions unless we understand it's because of our conditioning. 
So I see it as an empowerment. It's a roadmap because for every style, I'm very, very bold as, you know, as much as I got the PhD XYZ and the books and the, you know, the expertise and being a pioneer in the field since the eighties before it was even hip attachment. I'm very frank. And you can ask me any question. I've lived all these styles. I've got insecure in my history. I've got secure attachment, insecure, anxious, insecure, avoidant, insecure, traumatic, and I've played out every one in primary relationships. I'm 65 now. So I'm kind of, you know, resolved a lot of the insecurity, but Without, it was the golden ticket for me to realize now I understand what I can do because insecure, anxious needs certain things to become secure. Insecure avoidance needs certain behaviors to become avoidant. And in the two-party system, we commit to rewire each other from these insecure reactions to secure attachment. That's what secure attachment is. It's not you have to master secure attachment. It's that you're committed to be a secure functioning couple and you get to share where you feel vulnerable. Hey, you scare me when you when you attack and criticize. Hey, you scare me when you withdraw, you know, because I need connection and reassurance. So Lion, my partner and I, his name's Lion like the cat, we're very bold. We're out there with all of our process of rewiring each other because he was more insecure avoidant when I met him and I was insecure anxious when we got triggered. Remember, we also had secure attachment, but when we threaten each other in ways we had no idea, we could report it and go, hey, you know, he'd say, your voice reminds me of my critical mother. And I'd be like, my voice? This is the voice that all the other people I've been with feel totally, you know, love it. But with you, I need to know my voice tone and my voice pacing actually puts you into feeling discounted. So it's in my best interest to know that and work with my tone of voice and for you to be able to tell me without me feeling shamed because I'm not your mother. I do care that I can sound like her when I get agitated or for him, when he'd walk out, cause that's what insecure avoidance do in the middle of an argument because that he'd get flooded. And I wouldn't know why he's walking out. I'd be like, he's rude. You know, he doesn't care about me. No, I learned he actually, as an insecure avoidant reaches a limit to be able to handle my escalation. So it was in my best interest to learn how to share my anxiety in a way that wouldn't, and my fears and concerns with that wouldn't overwhelm him so he wouldn't have to walk out. And it was in his best interest to learn how to stay present and warn me, honey, I've got two minutes. I'm getting flooded. I can't take anymore. Honey, I need a break. I'm going to go take a walk, 20 minutes. You take the time to reset yourself. I'll take the time to reset myself and be like, great. You could take all the space you need because you're telling me the time you're coming back and you're caring not, you're letting me know you're not going to abandon me. You're going to care for my feelings. Take all the space you need. As an avoidant, I realize that's actually how you get back in your heart. It's in my best interest to let you go and get yourself self-regulated and come back more pro-relational. And then you'll be able to care for me. So that's why it's, you know, if it's held, what you understand it's really explaining where you're vulnerable, why you're reacting and what you need to be able to feel more secure, then it becomes a great roadmap as all traits. So you've, yeah. yeah, I appreciate the distinction that it's like a trait. It's not something that who you are, it's something that you kind of just have and you can also work with it. It's your and it really sounds like you walk the walk living it yourself. Oh yeah. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> I know I've lived I lived everything I teach practically. Yeah. So let's talk about what it means to rewire for secure attachment. Yeah. Um, and what it means to kind of heal ourselves. So you mentioned how, you know, you had a little bit of anxious, was it? And your husband had a little bit of avoidant. Yep. And let's just say, you know, I take a test myself and I realize that I'm also anxious or I'm also avoidant and I have these behaviors and I realize I'm doing them again and again in relationship. What's the first step to breaking out of that insecurity or avoidance and rewiring the brain for more secure attachment? 
Yeah. Well, the first thing is to take a test. I have a 22 question test on my website. It's free. It takes five minutes at confusedaboutlove.com. And there's other ones on the, on the internet. And in our, my case, we give a six page report, which kind of explains what your attachment style is about and where your vulnerabilities are. So it's just to own your vulnerabilities. Remember insecure is when you feel triggered and you're not feeling safe. What kind of behaviors do you resort to? So it's just to know your attachment style to then know how, how you can heal it and how to talk to your partner about it. Now you can't rewire with someone. Well, you can rewire yourself. That's called self-regulation, self-rewiring. And then there's co-regulation in relationship with someone. And in the neuroscience of relationship shows that secure functioning is the key to all successful and loving relationships. So to know my attachment style, to know my partner's attachment style becomes where we start to inform each other how to be in each other's care. That's what secure functioning is. That's what love is. And Mm. that points to how we hold each other physically and emotionally, how we listen and hear each other. Like I have to hear and be heard by my partner by watching the tone of my voice and the pace of my voice and how we see each other. You know, if we're looking at each other with disapproval, then as we share our vulnerabilities, all these kind of nonverbals of how we hear and see and hold each other are also affecting our content. So the couple's committed to this path of inform each other, what triggers each other, what threatens each other, because it's the threat behaviors that cause insecurity. So if we can't share what you do threatens me, your voice overwhelms me, you're walking out of the room, scares me, makes me feel frightened, afraid you're not going to come back. If we can't inform each other of these core needs and feelings based on where we go, feel insecure, we can't, we don't know how to change our behavior to become more positively connected and more appreciated and trust and cared for. And so we're teaching each other these core needs of not just connection, which people say, you know, attachments about connection. And it took me a number of years to go, wait a minute, I'm watching couples in my office and my own self where we're connected, but it's what I call negative bonding or trauma bonding. It's positively connected. And each partner has to inform the other what that is. Some might want touch, some might want no touch. Some might want looking in the eyes. Some might want tone of voice. So we teach, we inform each other what we need and what we need for respect and appreciation. And that's all of that disclosure is what the rewiring entails. So secure functioning is the key to all successful and loving relationships. Mm-hmm. Professional so ones too. Mm-hmm. And so as a couple, we need to commit to this path of recognizing what is triggering and threatening the other one. And I wanted to apply what you just said to the anxious avoidant dynamic, because you mentioned sure. it in your own marriage, for example, mm-hmm. um, where the anxious person is the confronter, right? Mm-hmm. They, they want to bring up the issue. They want to deal with it. And yep. it might evolve into criticism and complaining. And the exactly. avoidant one is totally flooded. Too much emotions are not able to think clearly. So then they begin to separate themselves from it. How do we break out of the insecure avoidant, or sorry, the anxious avoidant dynamic in our relationships? Yeah, these are great questions. So one is to to become aware. It's like, I want to heal my tendency to go into my insecure default behaviors. So for someone like myself, I know that escalating, provoking, criticizing, and projecting that on my partner, I'm going to lose him and therefore he won't be able to care for me. So it's in my best interest to actually become aware in terms of my nervous system. My nervous system starts to go into insecurity to recognize the symptoms. So for me, the way I often describe it is kind of like a cat who's threatened in a corner. You know, the back arches, the kind of claws come out. I want to pounce, right? It's like, and I can actually 
feel my nervous system that was once, you know, in one moment relaxed, feeling safe and non-threatened. Suddenly I want to go into fight mode and I want to aggress. I can, so I, I, I watch neurologically. I can kind of feel the tightness of my jaw and I have to want to pattern interrupt that. So let's say we're in the kitchen. Everything's cool. He says something, I get triggered and I can feel that energy coming on. And I want to kind of, you know, pounce on him, which I would have originally not knowing that was just going to drive him away. I now know that. So I might go, you know, I'm getting triggered. I need to go, you know, take a walk or I need to go upstairs. I'll be back in five minutes. It's actually interrupt the cycle to aggress and escalate by walking out. So I become the one that walks out, but I'm not doing it in a punishing way. I'm doing it in a mindful way. And I'm reporting to him. I'm taking responsibility that I'm triggered. Or let's say I want to, I don't want to walk out. We have an agreement. We kind of own, you know, our reactions. So it might be, honey, I'm feeling really triggered. I'm finding myself, you know, really, really feeling critical. And I am feeling anxious that you just told me that blah, blah, blah. And I need to talk to you about it. So the secure functioning couple has an agreement that when the anxiety or the avoidant behavior is coming up, they slow things down and they actually get to expose what they're feeling. So he might say, as an insecure avoidant, you know what you just said triggered me. It's really pissing me off. And I'm just, I feel like I want to run. I want to get out of here. I, I don't want to have this argument. I don't want to talk about this again. I'm out. And that would be his old behavior. And he would, wouldn't care. It'd be unilateral. He'd just leave and leave me like in silence endlessly without telling me when to come back. He could take all the time he needs because he, I mean, he take days. Sometimes they take days because, you know, we were dating and we weren't living together. Be like, ah, three days, whatever. It works for me just to unplug. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, you know, just fixated on his disappearance act. So he might go, I feel like leaving the room right now. If you don't stop right now, your tone is making me feel overwhelmed. I need to pause. Let's just take a pause. That means uh, it's a signal to me. Stop pursuing. Stop aggressing. Even if I feel I'm righteous with what I'm feeling, because why? I know as an avoidant, I can flood him. And if I flood him, I'm going to lose his ability to care for me. So we agree. We have little, you know, we have these kind of pattern interrupts. Pause. That means both pause and then self-regulate. If you, you know, just let's just be quiet for five minutes. That means just take this time. We're not punishing each other. Pause means we're not punishing each other. We've mindfully agreed. We're headed to go off the cliff. We're interrupting both of our patterns. And we're using that time to get ourselves, you know, breathing, cup of tea, walk. I'll be back in five minutes. I'm not just leaving to punish you. You know what? I can't talk about it tonight. I realize I'm just exhausted. I'm running on fumes. Can we park it? I care what's happening, but let's, you know, set up a time at breakfast. Will that work for you? Or take a walk later tonight and talk about it right now. It won't be effective. So we're informing each other how much resources we have or don't have to be pro-relational. And, and we're committed, if it's not positive, not to continue. And we call it. And we call it in the other. So, you know, the commitment is we know that if we go into threatening behaviors, the other's going to usually go into their insecure default. And then we lose the positive connection. And who can care when they feel threatened? No one. Our ability to care goes off the line. We get in our heads. We argue righteously. We build the cases on each other. And no one cares when they're feeling judged or blamed or shamed. That's all the mental strategy that covers the real feelings underneath. So we've learned we just don't indulge these cycles anymore. They're just a black hole. So all these hours of processing, we're just righteously, you know, I've got a strong intellect. Imagine with all I know, I could just, you know, find a theory in a position on everything. (laughs) That just makes them feel 
you know, shamed or blamed and I've got righteous indignation and then he will, you know, say something. The avoidance are often the gaslighters and they'll twist what I'm saying to get me off his back and to get some power back. And these, it's like dead. It's just, it's death. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm your enemy. I'm going to feel like, I'm going to feel like I'm your ally and I need you to feel like my ally. I want to feel love. I don't want to feel war. So we don't defend and indulge the warring behaviors. So don't indulge the cycles. That's right. You both have to be committed though, right? Because if one's committed to interrupting and the other's like, forget it, man, I'm having my truth. I don't care the impact. My truth is my truth. I get to have my feelings. I've always, you know, been suppressed my whole life, particularly the codependents who are feeling their, you know, finding their voices or those who are self-absorbed and think they don't really care about their impact on the other. Everyone's in their righteous. I will have my feelings. Like, go ahead and have your feelings, but don't expect the person to give a hoot about them. We don't know that until we're taught that, you know, we see our parents endlessly arguing. We endlessly argued with them. Hey, you know, have your connection, but that's a negative connection. That's negative bonding. Go ahead and have it. You're having your truth. Are you going to get cared for? What's the point? We don't know that love's supposed to feel safe and warm and, you know, mutual understanding, mutual sensitivity. Both people are supposed to feel safe and secure and, and honored. And we don't, we don't even know that many of us who didn't have that role modeled. Hmm. You know, love is not a warlike, defensive, judging, critical, dangerous feeling. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah, you know how many people endure years of bonding that way? I was in those cycles. So I love your advice on what to do when we have this anxious avoidant behavior is basically have an agreement that when this behavior comes up, slow things down, express yep. what you're feeling, maybe take a break, notice when threatening and pursuing is happening. And what about another dynamic we might encounter, which is a secure person with perhaps or trying their best to help a person who might be anxious or avoidant yeah. or even traumatic because a person might be securely attached. And as a result, they might be a little dismissive of what their partner is going through. So, you yep. know, you mentioned yourself like, oh, you know a lot about the theory behind us. You might be with your partner and be like, oh, well, you're having this reaction because your mother treated you like this. So I'm not going to bother with it, exactly. <laughs> which obviously we don't want. Right. Right. So what's really the best way for a secure person to mm -hmm. support their partner who might have an anxious avoidant or a traumatic love style? Yeah, that's another great question that's very confusing, particularly not just for the one who is insecure bonding with the secure one, but for the secure one who doesn't understand, like you said, it might minimize and devalue just the depth of overwhelm and anxiety or the depth of inability to connect, which is more the avoidant. They literally don't know what safety and security is. So they're speaking different emotional languages and the expectations are different. So the the person who's more secure oriented through their conditioning or they've healed themselves and they've chosen a partner they love dearly who has some of these more insecure styles, they have to accept that it's going to take a lot longer for that other person to be able to actually embody and express secure functioning behaviors. They actually have to learn. They have to be healed and they have to go through the healing process, particularly if they have trauma spectrum. So an example would be this, you know, Lion and I, both, we met later in life after long-term marriages, and I was involved with this work uh, at that point, and he was more avoidant. I had a little bit of trauma spectrum in, in, in me. I was highly secure at that point with a bit of trauma, insecure, anxious trauma. And when something would happen that would trigger that, unbeknownst to him, 
because I had a rageaholic father. Lion's not a rager, but he gets angry. He's quiet anger. And I would make stuff up. His lips would purse and I would assume he's going to attack me. He'd just be feeling normal frustration, for example. But sometimes if we were really in a heated argument, I might go into a projection that it could get edgier than it ever got because of, you know, years of a raging, non, you know, raging dad. So sometimes his tone of voice, just like mine with his mom, I'd make stuff up. I'd interpret it could get worse. So I would tell him, it would happen every once in a while. I would get in this kind of disorganized, hyper-reactive place, making stuff up, feeling threat that wasn't there. And I would say, to, after I started to recognize what it was, I would say, I'm in a trauma response. I'd own it. So he would know, don't poke the bear. Oh, she needs my love. She's, you know, I've really got to get over my stuff. She's in a really primitive reaction. I'm not going to keep, you know, expecting her to show up in her normal, secure, functioning way. I've got to, you know, as of my commitment, to heal each other. I need to really come forth with more positive masculine behavior. And he would bring out more of that kind of fatherly love that, you know, our daughters have. And we give our daughters, it wasn't like he was treating like a child. He was just caring for the child part in me that was triggered. And he wouldn't take it personally that I was acting like a child. So I would call it I'd take responsibility. I was hijacked in it because I recognize the symptoms, you know, or I'm feeling anxious right now. I need your patience. I need your compassion. So the one who's feeling more insecure owns, I feel like I need your care. I need your tenderness. You don't go there. This is where I go, you know, or the secure person going, you know what? I see you're overwhelmed. How would you like my help? What do you need to feel safe? It's always, what do you need to feel safe? That's what we all need. That's what secure attachment is. So all you have to ask is, what do you need to feel safe? I don't know right now. Teach me, you know. I just need you to hold me and tell me you're not going to leave me. Oh, honey, come here. Come here. Let me give you a hug. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. Even if we're talking to each other's primitive child, that's what secure rewiring is. We help become those positive attachment figures to the primitive parts that are talking as well as the adult parts. I got you. We're in this together. We're just having a bad moment, you know. And I'm sorry, I was really dismissive of you. And it's just, I get frustrated sometimes, but we're going to work it out. Let's just, let's just hug each other and, you know, let's cool out a bit and we can talk about what came up. So that it was just the secure person reassures and asks for what the person needs to feel safe and secure. That's the most important question. What do you need to feel safe? Teach me. Yeah. I'm sure those are words we all want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Guide me. And often the, the insecure person doesn't know. Okay, the more trauma and the less they've worked on their insecure behaviors, they don't have ready access because no one gave, gave a hoot about what they needed to feel safe and secure. That's why they're insecure. So that even that question isn't necessarily to the secure person who asks, who might know that because they know what security feels like. You've got to really get, it might be like a K through five version or preschool version. It may be an advanced awakened version. You've got to meet the person at the level they're at. So I used to have a primitive part. I had an affectionate name for her. She was almost reptilian because my dad really annihilated parts of my sense of security. I was a very highly sensitive child. And so I had a name, an affectionate name for her. And I would say, you know, I forgot what the name was. Um, so much I've dismantled her. But, you know, you could just say, call her Petunia. That's my most primitive, just raw. She's like almost like a snail without the snail shell. She has no defense system. And she gets frightened with aggressive masculine energy. Even when you're frustrated, it scares her. And right now, that's who's in the driver's seat. Petunia got really upset. And he would say, well, let me talk to Petunia. He'd give me a chance to let me actually let that part speak and actually let her come up from my subconscious. And we find out what she was feeling. But she had very primitive responses. I'm scared. What are you scared about? 
I don't know. What? Can you just use a word? Your your eyes look mean. So you want to meet the person at the level that they're actually feeling it. That's where the healing happens. So many of these behaviors are subconscious. And once they become conscious, then you can start to release them. They just hijack us when we're threatened because that's where we went to when no one cared and we adapted to that position. Sorry, I'm talking a lot here. No, it's wonderful. <laughs> I, I love you bringing us on this path of healing. And I wanted to ask you what we should expect on this path of healing. Yeah. And I realize mess. everyone's different. <laughs> we all have different conditioning. But the patterns you're describing to me sound like very deeply ingrained, yeah. right? You could be talking to a 30 or 40 year old person and like that childhood wounding comes up. Yep. And 56 year olds too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> when we talk about building secure attachment, rewiring our brain for secure attachment, Um, you know, how many sessions does it take? Or I should say, you know, what, how much healing, uh, should we expect to go through? Okay. So I get asked this question a lot with new clients, you know, how many sessions, and here's my honest answer. Having been on this side as the healer, as well as the one who needed healing, it depends on how much work you've done already. It depends on whether you have, if, you know, your healer, counselor, therapist is someone you trust who understand, who can diagnose what your behavior is and know the remedies and the practices to give you. It depends on if your partner, whether they are sharing a lot of developmental trauma that has or hasn't been healed and whether there's trauma, developmental trauma or spectrum in there that one or both of you have is going to be a lot more complicated. There's a lot more reactivity and lack of trust to open. And so... It depends on what's being triggered. If you may be, you were in one relationship long-term where it felt like you're a secure, secure parent and this other one feels like you're traumatizing parent and you've never done any work on it and you're outraged because you know what security feels like and you're completely confused why this partner's putting you in these primitive states. So what matters is that I can say as a trauma specialist and as someone who's had extensive trauma, not just a raging father, like rape and almost killed and all kinds of infidelities. I know transgressions. I know danger directly, physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, at many ages that trauma can be healed. The memory can always be there. Like I can remember incidences, but you know, trauma is healed when the charge, the reaction and the sense that something in a movie or in real life with your partner or a friend or an employee or employer, sibling, is triggering that same feeling where you feel overwhelmed. That's what trauma is. Trauma is you feel overwhelmed to process and digest the emotional impact or the physical impact, and you actually haven't released it. So it becomes, there becomes scar tissue and beliefs and, and feelings are created. So again, long-winded way of saying you can be very traumatized with a lot of insecurity and so can your partner. You have to find the right healers and you have to commit to healing each other and not justify traumatizing each other. Even if we traumatize each other, that's not the problem. Okay. It's what we do when we traumatize each other. So if I, to this day, decades into this, and one of the pioneers in the field and my partner teaching it with me, rewiring some of his key dynamics, we can still trigger each other. We could even do some overwhelming behavior here or there, but it's the key is that it's happening less and less that you're committed that when it happens, you don't justify it. I'm really sorry I scared you. I'm really sorry I raged at you. I get that was really scared you and remind you of your raging 
parent. I'm really sorry I walked out and slammed the door on you. I couldn't take it, but I know that really triggers you and that was really unfair. And notice I'm coming back 20 minutes later and in the past it would have been three three days. So it's incident by incident we're rewiring. We can't do it academically. We can study and read all the books in the field with the person when we're triggered. What are we going to do about it? Incident by incident, we learn to be more pro-relational. We learn how to create greater safety and security. And we apologize and own it when we are back in that old historical hurtful behavior that we know hurts our partner. We care about our impact. I'm sorry I slammed the door on you. I'm sorry I you know, criticized you. I'm working on it. I know it hurts you. It's what I call care, own, and then we repair it as soon as possible. That's what most people don't realize. The repair is the, is the, is the safety net. If as partners, we commit to learn what secure functioning is, we commit to learn how to rewire incident by incident. And when we feel we've hurt each other, we do our best to care about it, care about our impact, and we repair it and own it as soon as we can to let the person know we're trying. And sometimes we take many steps forward and then we're overwhelmed. Shit happens. Fires happen. COVID happens. Parents die. Clients get us upset. Work got fired. We get overwhelmed and we might default and go one step back. And that's okay. As long as you then repair it and do your best to try not to go there again. And over time, you decide with this person, we're fighting less. We're repairing quicker. We're feeling safer and safer as months go by. And they're caring when they hurt me and they're I'm caring when I scare them and we're in this together. That's what secure attachment is. It's not a perfect state. You can be very wounded and be really creating a healing, secure attachment relationship. So care, own and repair, you said? That's my, that's, that's my primary teaching. Yeah, I've summarized mm. really what, what the process is because it's just caring about our impact on each other. And when we don't care about our impact, in other words, if Lion says to me, you're sounding like my critical mother and I go, out of, let's say, my shame or feeling blamed, I say, what do you mean? Every other person I talk to like this, I'm just being my true self. What's your problem? You're too sensitive. No one else has trouble with the way I talk and I defend it. I don't care. Then my righteousness might make me feel like there's nothing wrong with me, but I've lost my partner feeling cared for by me. And I've lost my partner ever believing that I care that to him, my critical tone and voice hurts him even if it didn't to someone else, and that I have to care. He's got a lot of wounding. And even if my content is right on, my caring for him is that I'm going to work on not talking to him that way, because why? He can stay open to me and what I'm feeling, and I can stay open to him, and we're going to be able to get a positive communication cycle going. So when he gives me that feedback, it doesn't happen anymore. Okay, so here's a nuance. So he'd say that and my academic self would say, oh, he's informing me. He's giving me his operating manual, I call it. That's good. But then I go, hmm, he's telling me he doesn't like being criticized. Telling me I'm his critical mother feels critical to me. Now I feel criticized. That doesn't feel fair. Mm -hmm. So then I, I realized, I said, you know, I'm open to the feedback of working on my tone of voice. How you remind me will make a difference if I go into defensiveness and feeling criticized and it's unfair because you're criticizing me too. Or... I can really care. So I'd say one of the ways that I can care is to tell me what you want, put it in the positive rather than judging me for what I'm doing wrong. So it'd be, sweetie, I need to talk to you. I need you to talk to me in a slower, softer voice. Can you just take, you know, just take a breath and slow it down so I can really hear you? Then he'd, he'd empower me to focus on the behavior he wanted in a positive way using positive descriptors. So these are all things you're teaching each other. 
you know, and you're caring and you're learning and you're giving feedback and these kind of, I care, I hurt you, but how you tell me really hurt me. Okay, now we got to stop and slow this down and figure out how to repair this. So next time we do it differently. It's a lot of work. It does sound like a lot of work, but it sounds like a beautiful work. Yeah, it's healing Um, each other. This path of healing, the path of creating this positive communication cycle. Loving, it's learning how to be loving. It's the Mm. path of love. It's learning how to be loving. That's what rewiring is. So you mentioned we feel safer and safer as months go by with secure attachment. But you Mm -hmm. also mentioned that secure attachment is not perfect attachment. And this is something I've wondered when I read books and other writings about attachment styles is the research shows about, you know, half, like 50% of people are securely attached. And I'm always wondering, are these people just good to go? Um, You (laughs) know, just put them together and they're having a good time. Yeah, they don't need to read the books. They don't need to know anything about it. They're just fine. Um, You know, so really my question is, what kind of work do securely attached people have to do? Yeah. Well, I've got a few, I'll try to keep it simple here. A few, uh, my own nuances that 50% I've read it before. That's in, uh, you know, in the attachment book, uh, Mike Levine's book. I don't agree with that anecdotally. I mean, I, I work in progressive, you know, Marin County, my practice, Marin Sonoma County with pretty high achieving, high educators, a lot of them. And also internationally, I work with a lot of people who are, you know, quite awake and I don't find that 50% of the people have cure attachment, but that's actually, you know, one of the research projects say that, um, I mean, studies say that. I would say that most people are what I call, again, one of my words, I haven't seen it in the research, hybrids, because I feel people are mixes. Secure attachment is often referred to as 80% of the time. So that means you can have insecure behaviors, right? You can still get upset. And as my colleague Stan Tatkin says, you know, Secure functioning couples at their best fight. You know, his distinction is they know how to fight well. In other words, they, you know, they own up, they repair quickly, they 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 get back to relieving each other's distress is the top priority, you know, where each other's go-to person, oh, I put you in distress, it's the top priority for me to get us out of distress. So it's not a perfect state. Even those who are considered secure at functioning have reactivity. But their dominant feeling is to be loving, to vector towards these behaviors of caring and safety and security. And then some of us are just mixtures. Like I would say when I met Line, I was 80% secure, 20% insecure, still more to go. And in terms of with the primary male romantic partner, not with my daughter, not with my clients, not with my best friends, but I was from the raging father. I had remnants in certain partners I would choose, be they the same or opposite. I'd be working out my mistrust with masculine intensity or aggression. So I'd say of the 20% of my insecure anxious, 3% of it, when it would get triggered, maybe 1% of it would be, I'd go into trauma spectrum, maybe 1% of it. But I was primarily securely attached. I knew it all academically. And then Mm -hmm. I had to, each time I got triggered. And sometimes I'd be like, what I call mild spectrum insecure or mild spectrum trauma. There's mild kind of like, ah, you know, on a scale from one to 10, my reaction would be a two or three. Whereas a 10 would be, I'd be in high anxiety, highly escalated, really kind of in my trauma, kind of aggression. So we can be in our insecure behaviors and traits where it's, we're just kind of mildly low grade, kind of walking eggshells, but not really playing it out. And then we can burst out in like cold avoidant, gone for days or hours and not caring. 
or go into, you know, high escalating, pursuing, yelling. Those are more the extreme. So we can be a blend. And um, secure people, I am in that camp now. I've really healed myself. I'm almost 65. It's a state of freedom. It's a state where you're able to love people no matter what's happening and not personalize it and help them in their reactions and really help negotiate repairs quicker and still get annoyed, frustrated, angry, pissed. They have some ability to regulate when that happens pretty quickly, some ability to talk about it responsibly without aggression or overwhelm. A lot of sensitivity that we're in a two-party system. And even if I'm feeling good, you can still feel bad. You know, there's mutual sensitivity, mutual mutual needs, mutual understanding, the ability to hold my own process and the others with equal care, equal regard is pretty well integrated. And that is just, that's a state of emotional, being an emotional adult, being very integrated and be grateful. You are there, you got there and help other people by being loving and role modeling what love is and feel blessed. You've earned it through healing yourself or you've been blessed with your karma. You never got highly traumatized and it's a natural ability. Either way, keep loving people and helping them and and helping them Mm. feel safe with you Mm. and themselves. Mm. Keep loving, keep loving others, be a role model. That secure attachment is this beautiful trait we can all find within all of ourselves. Yeah, it's Uh. wisdom. So wisdom to know mm. how to love is what I call it. Uh, thank you so much. The time has really flown by. It's just yeah. a fountain of wisdom. And it's amazing to hear all the things that you have to say about this wonderful topic. And I want to finish by asking you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite mm-hmm. simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? Love is innately possible to be experienced and expressed by everyone. And if you're confused about love, which is my brand, then, you know, study and get the help to learn what love is and what it isn't and choose people that are committed to love you and that you can be loving with because it's the embodied experience in relationship with someone that that love is experienced. Love is innately possible and to be experienced by everyone. Mm-hmm. Find people to love you and people to love. Yeah, and learn how to love if you don't, if you're confused. Ah, your words just warm my heart. <laughs> and... So you mentioned confused about love. So do tell our listeners for those who want to learn more about you and work with you. Uh, how do they mm-hmm. find you? And do you have any offerings or upcoming things you want people to know I about? Too. I have. Thank you. You're a wonderful interviewer, by the way. I love the way you mm-hmm. kind of listen and capture, distill my verbosity and complexity into these simple <laughs> little poignant teaching points. I appreciate that. Yeah, my website's confusedaboutlove.com and on there on the homepage, you'll see the free love style profile quiz where you can learn about your attachment styles, take the test and get a six page or a number of blogs about what love is and what it isn't uh, defining childhood attachment styles. And I have some courses on there. I have a whole body of work about called Healing Narcissism and Codependency as well that I, my partner and I talk a lot about our process, uh, five keys to secure it. Passionate love. You get a discount when you take the love style profile quiz. So those are some online courses. And I work with people online. I have way before the COVID for decades all over the world with very complex trauma bonding and and insecurity through Zoom or Skype. For those who are interested, they can email me and I will then guide them, you know, what the process is to work with me if they want to do that. And then I have another online course coming up in the fall, just kind of a the latest, greatest hits <laughs> since I did the five keys uh, five years ago with Lion. So if anyone's feeling confused about love, they're not alone. No, I, <laughs> and I they can go to confusedaboutlove.com. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and they can get, I call it get clear, be wise, feel secure. You can get clear. Mm. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Christopher, for coming on to the show, for sharing with our listeners your wonderful wisdom. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember that secure functioning is the key to all successful and loving relationship and that healing is totally possible. It requires caring and owning and repairing and that love is innately possible to be experienced by everyone, including you. We hope you find people to love you. We hope you have people to love you and we hope you have people to love yourself. Mm -hmm. And... If you want to learn more about me, you can go to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Krista. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 